welcome to Let's Talk Real Estate. I'm your host, Anna Olsisi, serial entrepreneur, passionate marketer, and owner at Segway Group at Keller Williams Realty Gainesville. On the podcast, you will find valuable information about all things real estate, plus some fun stories told by a variety of guests. So if you like what you hear, then subscribe and invite any friends who you think may get some value from listening. Welcome, everybody. Uh, This week, we have a very special guest. He is an investment partner at Kronos Investment Partners, and uh, he is going to talk to us all about big-time investments, more than uh, what we usually have touched on here and there. Uh, So it's on a different scale. It's something very interesting because even though it's on a different scale, the general public can participate with some stipulations, of course. Let me just quickly introduce John Stober, principal at Cronus Investment Partners private equity firm. They buy cash flowing and underperforming multifamily properties in the United States. That sounds super cool. And I can't wait to listen to more about that. And uh, he oversees underwriting, market analysis, and financial reporting. Again, super big words, but cool stuff nevertheless. And John builds financial models, evaluates properties, and analyzes financial metrics to ensure the company constructs transactions that generate the highest returns for their investors while mitigating risk. Wow. He holds a double major in accounting and finance. That totally explains it. From the University of Maryland, College Park. And John, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Anna. Thanks so much for having me. I uh, I haven't read our website in a long time. <laughs> wow. I'm like... That makes me sound really good. It really does. I, I'm, I'm, which that's good, right? I mean, if if you live up to all that, that's incredibly impressive, especially because you're not like an 85 year old guy. Like you've done a lot in a very short amount of time. That's even more impressive. So, with that, please tell us a little bit about yourself, background, your education, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, um, I'll try to add on to what you've already said. So I, I graduated from the University of Maryland College Park, like, gosh, almost four years ago, right now. And that's I, it. You know, four years. Yeah, ago? yeah. So I'm a, I'll, I'll be 27 in a couple weeks. But so I have this, I have this accounting and this, this finance background, which you know, on paper it sounds really good, really smart. Like you should be making a lot of money. But when I graduated from college. I mean, I spent my whole last semester trying to get a job, and then I finally got a job, and I looked at how much money I was going to be making, and more importantly, how much vacation time I was going to get from the company. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this uh, this isn't going to work. Like, it's just not enough money to do what I want to do. Um, okay. So I immediately go to Google, and I'm like, how do I make passive income? And I got like CDs, bonds, dividend stocks, and real estate. And so the first three, I was like, I'm going to need like millions of dollars to make like 50K a year of passive income. But real estate sounds really interesting. I'd always been interested in it. And, you know, when I was in college, I would walk around like fraternity row and where the frat houses would have all their parties. And I was like, you know, these landlords have configured these houses to have like five or six bedrooms and the students are paying like 800 to a thousand bucks a month in rent mm-hmm. i mean like these have to be cash flowing like crazy yeah so it kind of like planted the seed in my head so i go down that rabbit hole and then fast forward nine months you know i buy my first investment property 
It's this little two unit up in Baltimore, Maryland. You know, I was living in Washington, D.C. at the time. And I did what's called house hacking. So I don't know if your listeners have heard of this strategy before, but I got into this house with an FHA loan. It was a 3.5% down payment. And I think all in, you know, I was in for like less than five grand. Wow. And rent in Baltimore is like 800 to 1100 bucks. So it was like five months worth of rent was my down payment. So I lived on like the main level. And then I had an upstairs apartment with a tenant. Mm-hmm. And she came paying 800 bucks a month. And I had a basement in my apartment, which I ended up leasing out. You know, I had it for two years. So it was like between 670 and $700 a month for the lease. Wow. And like the total payment on it was like 1250 bucks. So it was like I was living for completely free which was awesome. Yeah. Wow. That's great. And yeah. I have heard of that because a lot of people do it here. I know somebody actually an agent in our um at at our office who did that, you know. He and so that's that's fascinating. I mean, it it's a pretty awesome strategy and like I'm, you know, I sold that house but I'm actually looking to do it again. Cuz like mm-hmm. I bought a house for 5 grand. I mean, right. <laughs> like 5 grand. And then I sold it like 2 years later. And yeah. I only made I only made six grand because Baltimore is not like an appreciating market. I'm like I doubled my money because I got in for five grand and I lived for free for two years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and I will say that's something that that I've I've seen a lot of people in their twenties and younger thirties be able to do is that house hacking stuff because obviously, as you tend to get older, you really can't or you won't yeah. do stuff like that because you have a bunch of family and things like that. But it's such a great opportunity for somebody who's like you, just, you know, emerging from college, being able to do that. You're immediately building wealth out the mm-hmm. gate. So. Right. And like rent would have easily been my biggest expense every month. Mm-hmm. I mean, my salary was like 60K. Mm-hmm. So after taxes, it was like half of my disposable income would have come to go to go to rent. Yeah. So it's like, I just don't have to pay this anymore. And I'm building a little bit of equity in the property. So that's mm-hmm. awesome. And yeah, like, again, I'm looking to do it again. I sold that house. I'm in Denver, Colorado now. Mm-hmm. Bit oh. more of a competitive market. But I'm just like, it, it was it was a really good experience. Despite the fact that I had to evict my my first tenant who I inherited, <laughs> which is kind of scary. That, yes, I, I've heard of nightmare stories about evictions, but see, you're getting experience all along. So that, now that that's what I kept telling ready. myself. But yeah. like she she uh, she knew where I slept, that's and I was true. like the, I was yeah. the new landlord coming in. And I was oh. like, okay, like you know, you got a one bedroom apartment, and you got four other kids up there with you who aren't oh. the lease, and like they're adults. Is like you got to go. Oh, I was man. like, hopefully she doesn't throw a brick through my window when I'm sleeping. Right. right. Well, yeah. I guess she didn't. She didn't. There you go. But so. I also sl- I slept in the living room for like two months. Because <laughs> <laughs> I slept right by the window in that house. And I was like, I, I couldn't sleep. Because I was just like, what if she gets pissed and like throws a brick through my window? Not trying to kill me. Just like to ch- to show me that she's really pissed off and like right. make me go buy a new window. And like, what if that brick like hits me in the head and I die? That's hilarious. So, <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So I literally like slept in my living room until eventually I did cash for keys with her and you know, I got her out of there. Yes. And then I, I leased her unit up and like it was all good. You know, I had this house where I was living for completely free in Baltimore City and then I was like, It's time to go do my next deal mm-hmm. and you know, I really wanted to build wealth through the Burr strategy, which stands for buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. Mm-hmm. It's basically a flip, but like you buy a house for 50k, 
put 20 into it and let's say it appraises for 100 instead of selling that house and making like 20 30 grand you mm -hmm. just refinance it and like you pull out the capital that you initially put in the deal and mm -hmm. now you have a rental property for no money in it so i was like mm -hmm. that seems awesome i want to do that strategy but i'm gonna have to learn how to like manage contractors and renovations and construction which is not my strong suit like i'm a yeah and i'm a spreadsheet jockey like <laughs> at the end of the day so of course me and a couple partners we go find like the biggest baddest rehab in baltimore city and if anyone has seen the wire and like you're thinking of you know these shells of homes like that's what we bought okay and that's we're all excited because we're like, cool, like, we're going to learn everything. Like, oh, I bet gonna... you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and like, more experienced people are looking at us like, you guys are crazy for doing this on your first rehab. And we're just like, no, like, we're going to bring the the demo guys in, then we'll bring the plumber in, then we'll bring the HVAC guy in, we'll bring the electricians in, and, then, like, it'll be, like, a streamlined process. And, and of course, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, right? Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, anyone who's done, like, a rehab, like, even one yeah. rehab is probably, like, laughing, right. like, rolling on the floor laughing right now. Because it doesn't mm -hmm. work that way. Mm -hmm. Like, contractors don't show up. They do a crappy job, and you get thrown off schedule. Mm -hmm. So, while we're doing that, uh, I had two partners in the deal. Things didn't end out pretty, like, very well with one of them. But the other one, he had this fourplex while I had my duplex. Mm -hmm. And he had to deal with a six-month eviction during our flip. Oh. Yeah. And... So I had to evict the tenant, and then I had, like, another tenant who was causing me headaches but still paying the rent. <laughs> and we're just like, you know, every time we make a mistake with these small multi-units, it's like we don't actually come out of pocket for it. Like, in his case, his tenants paid for his eviction, and in my case, I just had to, like, kind of work around this tenant and hound him for rent. Like, he didn't damage the place, though, and he paid me. That's good. Whereas, like, with the flip, it was like, okay, we didn't budget for a new roof because we didn't think we'd need to replace one, that comes out of our profit mm. at the end of the day. We're like, you know, this apartment stuff is, it sounds really interesting. It sounds like what we wanted to do anyways. It is what we wanted to do anyways from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of just like, let's skip all like the flipping and the single family stuff because we don't want to invest in Baltimore City either. It's just like mm -hmm. the demographics of the market aren't very good in our opinion. So let's just go buy big apartments and like we'll figure out how to do it and we'll be able to invest in like different markets across the country that are growing because there's just more scalability to them. So what markets are those? So when we initially started, we were really focused on Columbus, Ohio, hmm. because it was a really quick plane ride from us. My partner had his entire extended family there. Oh. So like we had a free place to stay. We had boots on the ground. It sounded like a great idea. It's just the market is extremely competitive, and as we started analyzing deals, it was like property taxes literally killed almost every single deal we've yeah. ever looked at in Columbus. Wow. But right now, you know, we have a, one of our partners, Ryan, he lives in Jacksonville, Florida. Love mm -hmm. the Florida market, so we're really <laughs> building out it. Yeah, it's, it's great. <laughs> it's got great demographics. So we're really building out a team there and looking all throughout the state, but especially northern Florida. And earlier this year, you know, I had a great deal come across my desk in Little Rock, Arkansas, that uh, I ended up investing in that as well. But mm -hmm. we're not really looking, like, in Arkansas. Okay, yeah. I mean, I feel like Arkansas isn't, like, super up-and-coming kind of place. No, no, I, offense, no yeah. offense to Arkansas. I just, 
Yeah, you never hear about it. So well, yeah. I, so actually, I think if you go to like where the university is in Bentonville, mm-hmm. I think that area is like booming. Well, different, right? I yeah. guess, yeah, yeah. But like Little Rock, where we invested, it's mm-hmm. not like in decline, but it's like yeah, mm-hmm. it's not like Atlanta or Florida or Phoenix or any of these markets where they're just like exploding with growth. It's out of control, even mm-hmm. here. I mean, which of course is Florida, but it's just crazy (laughs) like yeah it's not where you would probably do investment properties right now because it's expensive you know Mm -hmm. it's competitive so um but i don't know maybe you would would you would you do something like that in a place that because you said jacksonville so i feel like jacksonville's in the same situation as for example gainesville is um so what drew you to that part i mean uh, yes florida's growing but jacksonville in particular well, because my partner lives in Jacksonville. So right. Just the, yeah, I mean, that was, like, but honestly, the biggest selling point of it because he can go, like, tour the properties, meet the brokers, and gotcha. that's a huge okay. competitive advantage. Okay. But even in Jacksonville, you know, you can buy units, depending on, like, the condition and the age, mm-hmm. you can buy them for, like, 60 to maybe, like, 120 k and they're going to rent wow. for, like, seven to $1,400 in some cases. Wow. Whereas if you go to, like... I mean, I'm in Denver right now. You're you're looking mm. at like over 200k a door for yeah. something that might rent for like 1600. Yeah. It's hard to make those numbers work. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- that's kind of like where we are, as far as mm-hmm. I know. Maybe, but I'm thinking I'm not in the same market as you are. I'm residential, so perhaps there's something out there that I'm missing. Um, you got to dig into the numbers. Yeah, yeah. That's. You know, again, I don't do investment properties, so that's why it's interesting to talk to people like you who do it, and even on like you do it on a grand scale. It's not just which I I like the idea or what you mentioned in terms of the flips. Like the flips aren't necessarily the the money makers. Uh, you're you're looking more at you know doing these quadruplexes or or bigger, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what's the biggest project you've done? It's the one I'm doing right now in mm-hmm. in Little Rock. So that's 34 units. Oh wow. Okay. And and so take me through the process because I I I've heard bits and pieces, but so you identify a property somehow, and then. <laughs> so you identify a property, then you analyze it, which you know we call it like in the commercial space, you underwrite the property. Mm-hmm. So. I view that kind of, it is kind of like a flip or a burr on a single family house Mm -hmm. where like our property, for example, 34 units, we bought it for $800,000, which comes out to like 23, yeah, it's cheap. (laughs) It's cheap in Little Rock. Yeah. Um, It's a little rougher in Little Rock. It's not like, you know, like parts of Florida, although Jacksonville can get rough too. Yes. But, (laughs) you know, we buy them for 23 and a half K. And then you got to build out your pro forma, kind of like a flip. Mm-hmm. It's just with this type of property, you don't figure out your sales price or your ARV, which stands for after repair value, mm-hmm. by looking at the comps like you would on a single family house. Mm-hmm. You figure that out by calculating what your net operating income is going to be by the time you go to refinance it or sell it. Mm-hmm. And so net operating income is like you take your rents and all your other income you subtract all the expenses except for your debt, so like you don't include the mortgage, mm-hmm. and that's net operating income. And then there's usually a cap rate in each market. Mm-hmm. So in Little Rock, let's say it's a 7% cap rate. Mm-hmm. 
and easy numbers, you know, we're bringing in $2,000 a year, expenses are $1,000, net operating income is then $1,000. Mm-hmm. The value of that property would be $1,000 divided by 7%, which I think is like $14,000. Cool. And so you're building out this pro forma where it's like we're buying for 23 dollars and we bought it totally distressed, like it was losing money. Mm-hmm. We're getting the rents up to like between six fifty. dollars and 700 a unit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then we have our expenses which are it looks like they're going to be about four thousand dollars a unit a year so let's call it 675 on average a unit Mm -hmm. a month times 12 that is it's like it's like eight thousand dollars i'm just doing that in my head so you take eight thousand dollars i'm gonna trust you i'm like yeah. <laughs> I hope like, I'm right. right. I'm, I'm not that good at math. <laughs> but so if you take $8,000 of income a year and then you take $4,000 of expenses, the net operating income is $4,000. Mm-hmm. So take mm-hmm. a 7% cap rate and that is, I think it's around $56,000. That's your ARV per unit. Wow. So it's like we're buying for 23.5. We can sell it for 56. Mm-hmm. Let's call it like 52 after like closing costs, you know, realtor commissions. Right. Our rehab budget is between 5 and 10k a unit. So if we're buying 235, putting 10k in, we're in for 335 and we're going to sell for 53 or 52k. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty nice spread. Yeah. That's like 19k a door right. on lower price properties. On 34 and at doors. At that point. <laughs> On thirty, yet nineteen k across thirty four doors, yeah. and then you're just kind of running the numbers mm-hmm. too. Like if you're going to hold it for five years, like mm-hmm. does it actually cash flow? Right, right, and mm-hmm. and in these places, so you, that's why you have to identify places that are going to sustain that, you know, and, and, and yeah. not being distressed and dying or whatever. And is that what mm-hmm. you were seeing in Baltimore, more or less? Is that it, it just wasn't working out in terms of? growth well the reason no i'm probably a little biased just because i lived in baltimore and i was Mm -hmm. like i don't like the city got it and like if i owned property here i wouldn't want to go check on it (laughs) got it okay Okay. and then i I kind of like took my bias though and i did a bunch of research and like the data actually supported that you Mm -hmm. know it's baltimore's got declining population and it's got really high crime Mm -hmm. and it's also like there's a very strong tenant rights so like if you want to do an eviction or you want to you know do something with your tenants like it's very difficult yeah whereas with arkansas like the landlord laws are very much in your favor which was a huge selling point going into this deal in the middle of covid and an eviction moratorium yeah yeah okay well that's that explains it right there very good Mm -hmm. and so you say okay so let's say you put in eight hundred thousand into this originally to buy it that's not $800,000 coming out of your pocket. So do you have oh. investors? So we have a, it's a joint venture deal. It's not really okay. like investors, but it's a group of partners. Mm-hmm. And we collectively put in a little over $200,000. And that was like our down payment and all the closing costs. Mm-hmm. And then because this property was like totally distressed, a mm-hmm. bank was not willing to finance it. Right. Right. So we ended up doing a master lease option on the property, 
which is essentially it's basically seller financing Mm -hmm. it's just the seller still has his own mortgage so we're basically paying his mortgage right now while we rehab the property and then the rehab budget you know we have private lenders for that and that's how we're funding that and Mm -hmm. so we'll all in you know we'll be in for like the 33 35k door maybe less actually Mm -hmm. and we're projecting to sell it anywhere from 1.3 1.3 to 1.7 million nice yeah very good very good it'll be nice yeah. if we can pull it off oh, not uh we're not out of the woods yet but well hopeful. it's never over until it's over and it, exactly there at the closing table with yeah. the second yeah. hand. but you know like relatively over so yeah yeah you're halfway there i guess yeah. cool very good so Okay, so you said 34 was the biggest you've done so far. What are you looking at? Like, what is the, what do the next three years, do you think, you know, what are you projecting? (laughs) I mean, you can't project a plague like we just had, but, you know, or like we have. (laughs) But when that gets better, what are you looking at? So, like, our our company's goal is to get more into these larger syndications Mm -hmm. where we could take something down that's, like, 100 units. Wow. And 100 units is a really... It's kind of like, well, it, it is big. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it's not like we'll have all 100 units to ourselves. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you raise money from passive investors, but, mm-hmm. you know, 100 units, I, I think it's a pretty good mark because it's at that point you can staff the property with full-time workers mm-hmm. and it becomes a lot less hands-off or a lot more hands-off for the owner. Whereas right now on 34, like I'm doing a lot of our advertising, like on social media for tenants and I don't want to do that anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, you have to, yeah. Just outsource your stuff really to people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm in Denver right now. You know, when I was in Maryland and COVID, there wasn't much to do, but you know, in Denver, I want to, I want to ski right now. So I don't don't want to be on social media, like talking to tenant (laughs) leads. Right. Right. No. Yeah. But we're, we want to do more of these big deals through syndication. And what a syndication mm-hmm. is, is, you know, let's say we're looking for a 100-unit property in Jacksonville. It's uh, priced at $10 million, which is $100K a door. Mm-hmm. So we're probably going to need to raise like $300,000 for the down payment and the closing cost, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more when you account for like attorney fees. And then there's going to be some rehab that we're going to have to raise too, unless the lender is going to finance it. So we could be looking at, oh, sorry, $10 million? No, it's going to be like $3 million. So maybe we have to raise like $4 million for down payment, closing cost, rehab. And mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm 27, you know, mm-hmm. I think I've made some good investments, but I don't have $4 million no. lying around. A lot no. of people don't. I'd say, yeah, like yeah. most people. <laughs> yeah, and even if you do, even more people don't want to take like, everything they own and say i'm gonna put it into this one project right right that was actually (laughs) one of my questions how risky is this kind of deal yeah Yeah. so i I can get that in a little bit yeah yeah. but what the syndication is is like so we got to raise four million dollars we're going to go raise that from like a collective group of individuals and people might throw in like 50 to 100k i mean if they have more to invest it it could be a lot more Mm -hmm. but you're going to raise the money from individuals and then it's basically like it, it's a security, like a stock. I mean, you have to get an attorney to draft up a, a private placement memorandum. You have to get exempted from the SEC so that way you don't have to issue an IPO. And then those partners, those passive investors that you've raised money from, 
they now have equity in the property. So they're entitled to part of the cash flow. And, you know, when you refire, you go to sell, you know, they're entitled to, to distributions. So you're sharing in the wealth with them. Excellent. They're sharing in the wealth and they're sharing the risk and everybody wins, right? Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you want to circle back to, in terms of the riskiness of the investment and everything. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. So, I mean, I think each investment is different. I mean, you have mm -hmm. risks amongst like different markets, different asset okay. classes, mm -hmm. you know, how well maintained, <clears throat> excuse me, the building is. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to go buy some completely distressed property in like a D area and, you know, there, it's got all bad tenants in it. I'm going to have to demand a much higher return on that than if I'm going to go buy something in downtown Atlanta that was just built and like mm -hmm. nothing's going to break for 10 years. Right. So you have to keep that into account. But as far as, you know, investing in a syndication, if you can find a really good operator with a track record and they're in a strong market, you don't have to invest everything you own. If you have millions of dollars and you're only putting 50K in, you mm -hmm. only have exposure to 50K. So it's not like you're going to go bankrupt off that deal. And there's going to be operating agreements and all this legal documentation that a really good attorney needs to draft up. And if you're a limited partner, you know, let's say the general partners do something stupid and they get sued or someone's coming after the property, mm -hmm. you know, limited partners aren't going to have to give up like more money you know mm -hmm. the most they can lose is the equity they put into the deal right. whereas like if you're let's say you're doing a flip you know you can lose the equity you put into the deal but you can lose a lot more than that too so that doesn't really happen if you're a limited partner right right okay well that's cool and then in terms of who these limited partners are like their demographic and all that i read somewhere and correct me please if i'm wrong um, that it has to be somebody who would be making like about two hundred thousand dollars a year would be your ideal partner, like investor. investor. I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's definitely the word. I investor is what I'm using, but yeah. Well, it's definitely good to to be connected with those people because they have money to invest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's two different types of syndications. You have what's called a five hundred six B and a five hundred six C, and those mm -hmm. are just SEC exemptions, so you don't have to issue an IPO to buy your building. So a 506C, yes, that's where you have to be what's called an accredited investor to invest mm -hmm. in the deal. Mm -hmm. So I believe if you're single, you have to have you have to have made two hundred thousand dollars in of income the previous year. If you're married, it's three hundred. Mm -hmm. And I forget if you also have to have a million dollars in net worth, or if you if it's like one or the other, you know, like the two three hundred k or a million dollars net worth. But that million dollars of net worth cannot include like your primary residence, which apparently is a rule because like 10 years ago, well, not during the crash, but at some point everyone in California became millionaires because their homes just like went up. Well, I feel like you have to be a millionaire in California anyway yeah. Yeah. in order to live there. Well, and if, you, yeah. and if you have, if you own a home in California, unless you like mm -hmm. just bought it, you probably have a boatload of equity in it. So the, mm -hmm. I think they made that rule just to like say, all right, just because you own a home in California doesn't mean you, you're an accredited right. investor. But for the 506C, you have mm -hmm. to be an accredited investor to invest in those deals. And as the syndicator, you're actually allowed to like go advertise those deals. I mean, I could go on social media or I could put a billboard up that's like got money to invest, like put it into this apartment building. Even if I've like, you know, there's going to be a bunch of people you've never met. 
And then there's mm-hmm. another exemption called a 506B where you can't advertise it, but you're allowed to accept 35 non-accredited investors as long as you have a pre-existing relationship with them. So I'm 27. Okay. Like most of my friends are not accredited investors. Right. But if they had 50 grand they wanted to put into a deal, you know, I could go raise money from 35 people just like them. And then the rest have to be accredited. Got it. That's interesting. Okay. So basically, if you know somebody, you know, like I know a guy. Yeah. And that guy's got 50 grand. <laughs> that's that, you know, you put him in and, and let him. But that's good because then it gives them the opportunity to actually start making money a lot faster than if you have to have money to make money, which right. is, you know, how it usually works. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, and are you seeing, so are you seeing in terms of your investors, are they, are you getting a lot of people who are on the younger side or are you getting people who are just more established and have done other types of investing? No, I mean, so I'm not our investor relations guy. That's my partner, Fritz, but okay, he's definitely going after, I mean, he's, he's really good like at marketing and identifying who he wants to go after. Mm-hmm. So he'll use these tools. I think it's called LinkedIn Helper. And he can literally go in LinkedIn and say, I want to find real estate agents that live in Southern California that are making this much a year. Mm -hmm. And this thing is so cool. Like it'll find all these people and then he'll put in like a pre-written message and it will literally type out this message to everyone like that meets that demographic. So I'm pretty sure he's going after like an ideal client that has more money because mm-hmm. they're more likely to invest. And he's God. going after, I think he's going after like real estate agents and like other investors mm-hmm. because they're not subject to the passive activity loss in the IRS. So basically they can write off a lot more in their taxes if they invest mm-hmm. in into a big apartment building than you know someone who's not a real estate professional. Okay, oh, expand on that, do tell. Yeah. Tell me more. Uh, I, I would love to. So <laughs> there's this really cool you know, tax saving strategy called cost segregation. Mm-hmm. And like when you buy a big building, most operators will do this. You'll bring like these engineers in and they're going to go identify like the different parts of the building, you know, the water heaters, the cabinets, the roof, the windows, and they're going to assign a useful life all of these so they may say like your roof's useful life is 10 years Mm -hmm. normally when you depreciate a residential property it's just depreciated over 27 and a half years even if your water heater's only got two years left on its useful life so the cost segregation it's segregating all the parts of the building and assigning a useful life to them Mm -hmm. and then that you can give that to your accountant and you're going to have a new depreciation schedule so if I'm taking my roof and, you know, this engineer says now there's only 15 years left uh, of the useful life, now I can depreciate that roof over 15 years instead of 27 and a half, right. which in and of itself is really cool. But where this, like, really gets amazing is I believe in 2017, Trump, you know, and during his tax reform, there is a new tax law put into place called bonus depreciation. And what bonus depreciation says, anything that is depreciated within 20 years, so like 20 years or less, mm-hmm. you can take that whole cost basis and you can depreciate it in the first year immediately. Well, 
So that that roof that the engineer said, yeah, like it's got a 15-year useful life. Okay. Well, if that roof had like a $100,000 cost basis, you can now take $100,000 and write it off immediately, like on your next year's tax returns. So if you're a real estate professional, you're not subject to the passive activity loss, which is normally $25,000 a year. And I'm not an accountant, by the way. I'm not a CPA, so you know, full disclosure, go, go check with your own. Right. But Okay. Glad you said that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so like a normal person, you know, let's say they get like a million dollars in depreciation deductions. Mm-hmm. They can only write off $25,000 a year. And then it's, you know, $25,000 is going to carry forward like for subsequent years. The real estate professional, though, is going to be able to take all million, $1 million and write it off immediately. So if you're like a house flipper that makes tons of money, you know, you're super mm-hmm. successful, you probably have a really big tax bill because mm-hmm. you're getting taxed at the ordinary rate. Well, if you were to take some of your money and invest it either actively or passively into a deal where cost segregation was done, I mean, you, you literally may not have to pay taxes. Because you can take the depreciation and you can deduct it from like your active house flipping income. Wow! But so that's who that's generally who Fritz is going after as far as like investor clients. So why so why isn't this like common knowledge among the real estate professionals? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> so <laughs> like first I hear of it. So if you're going after like the big commercial properties, it definitely mm-hmm. is common knowledge. Mm-hmm. But amongst you know, single-family homes, residential properties, I don't think it's as common because the rule of thumb I've heard from a couple of companies that do this, they say don't do cost segregation unless, you know, the property was purchased for a minimum of $500,000 and mm-hmm. ideally a million dollars because the study is going to cost like 4000 to $10,000. So if you're buying a $100,000 house, like it doesn't make sense to spend four grand doing a cost segregation study. No. But you're buying a $10 million building, even if it's 20K, like that's just right. a cost of doing business. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's why um, it's just it's not common knowledge unless you're in like a sphere where everyone's doing or trying to do big deals. Got it. Got it. So it's not for the common everyday real estate agent or real estate professional. And I don't mean that badly because I'm one of those. I'm just saying like it's it's for a different like different group. Yeah, but if if you're yeah. a real estate agent and you're investing passively in these deals, mm-hmm. like then it very much is for you. Got it. Got it. Well, okay. So so that's that was my question. Like, why did we not know about this in terms of like it's not common knowledge mm-hmm. among real estate professionals in general um, that that doing in this type of investing, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, being I'll call it a pool of investors. Would that be you know a, a good way of referring to it you know being part of this pool of of investors in a in a property Mm -hmm. am i getting that right i i yeah i think you're spot on and also what these companies have also told me too is like a lot of accountants actually don't know about it because it's Mm -hmm. it's the engineering firm that does the study Mm -hmm. and then you just give the study to your accountant so if your accountant doesn't know about like if your accountant knows about it and you're a real estate Mm -hmm. agent and they're not telling you to go invest in some of these deals I don't know. That uh, almost seems wrong to me. Well, okay. I think there needs to be a conversation with my accountant now. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> it sounds pretty cool, you know, what you guys are doing. And, and that's, you know, it can lead to a whole bunch of 
you know, money. So right. that's and, always nice. And if I'm if I'm wrong, you know, I'm glad your accountant will be the one to tell you. <laughs> if you're wrong, your name's not John. You don't know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where I'm, did you get this from? I have yeah, no idea. I, I've moved to Alaska. Yeah. I've changed yeah, my exactly. name. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, at least it would be equally cold there. <laughs> so right. you, yeah, Alaska would would be a good place to go from Denver. Maybe no, not at all. But uh, yeah. Very neat. This is super cool. Like I, I'm, I'm really glad that um, that you're on the show, you know, today because I, this is information that I certainly had never heard of, and so I'm sure that most of the people listening also haven't heard of it, and it's super useful. So um, I know that you have a book, right, that you wrote, and is it about this in particular? Yeah. Well, it's not about cost segregation, but okay. I did write a book. If anyone wants to learn how to actually like analyze these big properties, it mm. kind of just goes step by step, like what the overall concepts are, but then also where do you actually go to get the information? Mm. So like I'm a numbers geek, and when I started learning how to analyze deals, I was like, I don't know how much repairs and maintenance should cost like each year right. in a building. Like I've never operated big buildings before. So sure. where do you go find out that information? And that's kind of what the book tells you, too. So it's called How to Analyze Big Apartment Buildings and Make Them Feel Small. The goal was to take, like, a 100-unit complex and make it feel like a single-family flip or a burr. And, um, yeah, it's it's actually free at bit.ly forward slash underwritingebook.com. Oh, neat. We'll put that on, on the description of the podcast because uh, that's that's super neat and I, I encourage everybody to to read that so I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go read it just out of curiosity and uh, you know you really take basically the elephant and teach us how to eat it one bite at a time right which sounds super gross by the way but it's a great <laughs> it's an analogy and so you know that's that's probably the best way I can think about it but um, yeah that's really neat so okay so we've covered a lot is there anything that you came in wanting to talk about that we haven't discussed um anything i want to talk about no i mean it's just been like a nice organic conversation yeah um, which is usually That's... the way i like to keep it i don't really same. have like an agenda same same you know i think that uh folks want to listen to something that sounds like a conversation that's yeah. what we've had so uh no so, but yeah. but now that you mention it you know I'm, I'm coming up with a new course then if you want to enroll it's four payments of nine thousand nine hundred ninety seven dollars okay <laughs> joking joking <laughs> i know i was gonna say yeah that's that's awesome and i hope that somebody does that uh i i do not have um the time for that right, right. now <laughs> so yeah yeah hey but more power to you if you could do that that would yeah. be fantastic well one day right Maybe. one day when you I, when you have this tremendous knowledge to impart uh, because really what's forty thousand dollars to put into a course when you know you can make hundreds and thousands of dollars as a result so right. I, I think i think i'm going to try to buy some more properties first i think so i think it's a really really good idea so and so where are you are you looking in Jacksonville or you're not looking in Denver, I guess, because it's so, so competitive No, no there, so, right? um, oh, that's actually, I think, a really uh, great discussion point. So, yes, like, we're looking in Jacksonville, we're looking in Florida, and we're looking to partner with other operators, because multifamily mm -hmm. and, like, more of the, the commercial stuff, it, it's a team sport. I mean, 
-hmm. Someone's got to find the deals. Someone's got to raise money, and you know, someone's got to actually manage the asset. Mm -hmm. So th there's multiple roles to fulfill. But what I think is a really great point that you brought up is, you know, you asked if I'm looking for deals in Denver, and because it's really expensive. So mm -hmm. I think within each market, there's certain strategies, you know, to to make good returns. I don't necessarily think buy and hold is a great strategy in Denver because the prices are just astronomical here. I wouldn't, yeah. you know, unless you're doing like a really big value add deal where you can raise rents by a lot of money, I think it's going to be hard to cash flow. But I'm looking at other strategies here in Denver that would work. And whereas, you know, it's not traditional buy and hold, mm -hmm. I think if you're really good at, flipping houses that could be a great strategy because the prices are just like they keep going up and the spreads are there yeah. what i'm looking more into is if building new you know, properties makes more sense here because hmm. my gut feeling is i can build something brand new for pretty much the same cost as i can buy an existing property so hmm. it's like would you rather have a brand new property for you know it's say half a million dollars or would you rather have like some 30 or 40 year old property for half a million dollars right how can you do that because here i mean the building costs are going through the roof yeah they've gone up since march of last year of course um people are tacking on 20 percent to the cost that it was last year just because of that for new construction so no i i haven't done it yet oh, ah. <laughs> so okay. I, I don't know but it, it's just it's a math problem so uh -huh. it's like if you're going to do a flip you have to know what you can buy the house for what you mm -hmm. can renovate it for and what it's going to sell for so with a build it's pretty much the same thing how much are you going to buy the land for how much is construction going to be and how much will it sell for and if it's mm -hmm. going to be like a, an apartment building or a commercial building that you're keeping for cash flow like mm -hmm. is is it going to be able to cash flow after you built it so it's just a, it's finding the right deal and making it work. So if you can't find the land, I was looking at a deal two weeks ago where it was a three unit on a parcel of land. And then there was like a piece of land to the side of the property where I was like, you know, if you could subdivide that land, there's enough room to build a new, a new house on it. Mm -hmm. So this triplex, I was looking at like an, it was like a $900,000 offer price, which is, it, it sounds crazy. Because the units would rent for like fifteen hundred, two grand at most. Oh. But it's like if you you know you already got this parcel of land, you don't have to go buy new land. If you just subdivide it, mm -hmm. the cost of construction, let's say it's a thousand square foot house, would have been like two hundred grand. If that house would have sold for five hundred, mm -hmm. you just made three hundred thousand dollars, which basically means that triplex now is six hundred thousand dollars, renting for almost two grand a unit. And I, you know, the the numbers ended up not working, but it's like that. That's how you you make them work, and that's how you find deals. It's just plugging in different numbers and engineering it. You have to be a numbers guy. It helps. <laughs> of course, it helps, yeah. or at least know a numbers guy. Yeah. Who can help you or gal? Yeah. Definitely. Either way. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely that's really cool. So, well, I hope you can do that. Um, Me too. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah, you know, get together with a. I guess you have to know a builder. It's not like you're going to build it yourself. Yeah. You know? So, so yeah, get these relationships going, and you know, so cool. 
Well, uh, well, I wish you the best in Denver and wherever life takes you in the next few years, you know, as, as you, you know, you grow and, and start maybe moving into other markets, maybe you'll see that you want to move to another market. So physically, so who knows? Actually, quick question. So why Denver? Why did you go to Denver? I've always wanted to move here okay. since college. I, you know, I love snowboarding. I love the mountains. Okay. And I have some family here, so. Makes sense. When you said skiing, I assume that you yeah. probably just like life there. So it's yeah. a, it's a good time. And with remote work now, like at least yeah. me, I, I can kind of live wherever I want. Yep. Yep. Most people can. We can't. If you're if you're a realtor in a particular market, you kind of have to stick to that market and not go anywhere. But uh, that's okay too. So we we attract people to our markets who can live and work in different places. So. But at least you're in is, Florida. I am exactly Florida is the best. So and well for for that living on vacation kind of vibe <laughs> atmosphere yeah the vibe exactly like we you know it's, it was like last year really sucked for everybody in general but it was absolutely really nice at the beginning of a pandemic to be in florida when it was snowing everywhere else and we were all still out in the sun by our pools and that's what's drawing people over here so but i do hear great things about denver i'll have to visit one day one day you know, it's well, like, we can do that it, it gets yeah. it gets warm in the summer I, I've heard. No, I like I like cold. I think it's freezing here right now, so I I do do love it. So it really is. You're looking at me like because I can I can actually I can see John, everyone who's listening, uh, and he's looking at me like incredulously, like no way is it freezing. Well, but I'm, it, I'm like, what but is it? literally it was <laughs> this I was, morning. I was thinking it was sixty degrees. No, <laughs> no, it today it's been, it's been, it was like 20 something this morning when I went wow. to the dog. Yeah, yeah, see, so it's, it's not, uh, it's actually a it's going to be that again tonight. <laughs> yeah, it actually does get pretty cold where we are, I, but, uh, I hope you have yeah. some long sleeve shirts and pants. We, I do, see, I have all the winter gear. I don't, I don't even get cold when I walk the dog. It's actually pretty nice, so. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us, taking time from, you know, your your day. And uh, I hope to have you back so you can tell me about what you've done in, in, in the last year and see if you've built that property that you were talking about right. or what your investments, you know, and, and your future stuff's looking like if you've got that 100 um, unit building going on. So that's really cool. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, likewise, and and congrats. It's really impressive to see you and uh, your partners doing it at um, at an age when most of us were definitely not doing that. So you know, awesome. Well, thank Kudos you. to you. Thank That's you. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening, and thank you, John, for being on. And this has been super valuable, very cool information. And I hope you take it with you. I hope that you uh, learn more about John. We're going to put all his information in our uh, description and also on social media so you can connect with him and see if uh, you can join that super cool pool of investors who are going to be bajillionaires soon. So, <laughs> all right. Have a great one, everybody. Here's to the next time. Thanks so much for listening today. If you like what you hear and want to learn more about real estate and hear the occasional funny story, then hit that subscribe button right now. And if you know of someone who'd benefit from listening, then tell them to subscribe too, or else they may feel a little left out. 
For questions, topic suggestions, or nice comments, send an email to Anna at SegwayRE.com. We can also connect on Facebook at SegwayRE. Thanks for listening as we bring you a new way of doing real estate. Bye!